Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Nehemiah, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the, law, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women, and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Ken, Tamara, everybody. We will make more sense of that scripture here shortly. It is the season of Epiphany. One year for the season of Epiphany, the the sermon series title, some of you may remember this, was simply an exclamation point. That's all it was. Because that's sort of the ethos of of Epiphany. It is big. It is loud. There is some shock value to it. It's wow. I've been saying that to you this week. Today is no exception. In fact, I kind of think that all of the sermon titles uh, should have exclamation points at the end of them. And so today's would be redemption, exclamation point at the end. My my first question for us is today, anybody in need of a little bit of redemption? Does anybody have a circumstance in their lives that could use a healthy dose of of redemption, especially the redemption that comes with an exclamation point at the end of it. Maybe you have a relationship that is on the outs, fractured. Maybe you have a a life experience that has left you in a place of despair, hopelessness. Does anybody, does anybody need a little bit of redemption today? You're, if so, you're in a good place because the season of epiphany just begs for us to say right out loud, there is redemption, there is possibility, there is hope. And in a sermon series entitled Called Up, just sort of imagine the little exclamation point there. In in a sermon series called Called Up, thank you for, for giving me an opportunity to use a sports ball, baseball sort of theme, though I know some of you aren't into that sort of thing. But it really allows me to kind of lean into a sport that I really, I'm was never any good at it, but I sure have enjoyed it over the years. We have our Epiphany series called up, called up into the mission of God, into the shocking and surprising life of God that we see in Christ. It is a world full of possibility, rescue, restoration, redemption. Here's that word again, redemption. What do you mean by that? Well, there are all sorts of ways to define or describe that word, but today I want to simplify it for us. Yes, you can find a definition that says it means to buy back, to make an exchange of some kind, and that's all in there. I think sometimes it's even intended by Scripture, but today here's what I mean. Redemption happens when you get another chance or somebody gets another chance to write a better ending to the story. 
Do you need a little bit of redemption? Yes, the series is baseball themed. (laughs) And some of you, again, don't like baseball, but I still hope there is something for you here because I kind of think that baseball is ready-made for good redemption stories. Maybe it's the slower pace of the game, and it is sometimes painfully slow. Maybe it's that baseball imitates life because baseball offers so many chances and failure is part of the game. We put folks in the Hall of Fame who fail 65% of the time. It's a longer game. It is a long season. If they play all the games, it's 162 games. Players' careers can be longer. So there are, for a baseball player, of any sort of worth, there are so many opportunities for redemption. I don't know if you saw this. This was last August, August 12th of last year. There was a a game. They called it the Field of Dreams game. Anybody else see this? Yeah. Anybody else wonder what in the world? (laughs) What are they doing out there? They seem to have plowed under at least part of a cornfield, and they have built a park there. Now, um, this actually this is actually a really good game between the White Sox and the Yankees. It, it was decided very, very late, uh, very dramatic. It was really fun, and it was packed, and so they're going to do it again. But it's actually based on a movie. It's actually based on a movie. And again, I know some of you, I'm not going to be telling you anything, anything new, but the, I didn't realize that the movie was released back in 1989. Oh, help me. That's a long time ago. It is the story of a man by the name of Ray, Ray Kinsella, who at 36 has decided to leave the rat race. And he goes with his wife, Annie, and their daughter, Karen, out to Dyersville, Iowa, where they now own a corn farm. They now own a corn farm. Here's something else that we know about Ray. He's in desperate need of redemption. He has a fractured relationship with his father, and his dad has passed away, passed away without them being reconciled. And it seems to eat at him. It seems to eat at him. So perhaps to get away from the rat race, but also from those voices, right? He goes out to the middle of nowhere in Iowa, where he now owns a corn farm. And then one day, he's walking around in the corn, and he hears this. just now. What was it? We didn't hear anything. 
Alright. voice was saying, you probably could hear it, if you build it, he will come. Now, whose voice is this? Don't know, don't care. (laughs) It's just a voice. By the way, this movie asks you at several places along the way to suspend your scientific imagination, right? Just sort of let the story sort of bubble to the surface. The voice is saying, amongst other things, if you build it, he will come. I don't know who the voice is. What I, what I care about is this. It seems to me that the voice is also aching for a little bit of redemption for Ray. Aching for a little bit of redemption, but not just for Ray. Seems like the voice is planning for some, some redemption, not only for Ray, his dad, John. This down here at the bottom is Ray Liotta, who's playing Shoeless Joe Jackson. Oh, you guys, Shoeless Joe Jackson. Played for the White Sox now known as the Black Sox because it looks like Shoeless Joe and a few other people threw the 1919 World Series. Here's the problem. Shoeless Joe was one of John Kinsella's favorite players growing up, favorite players. And the next guy, a character based on J.D. Salinger, but the character's name is Terrence Mann, the next guy was a writer who liked to write the big explosive exposés, and he wrote a story about, he wrote an entire book about Shoeless Joe and the Black Sox, and in so doing, in so doing, sort of outed Shoeless Joe as a cheater and a liar. Man, Shoeless Joe needs some redemption. Now, Ray, a young Ray at 14 years old, read the book, And when he found out that his dad's favorite player, Shoeless Joe Jackson, was a cheater and a liar, somehow he voiced that opinion to his dad and his dad's relationship then, his relationship to his dad fractured, and that's what was never recovered. Terrence Mann became a hated author. His books, they tried to ban his books from libraries, just too explosive, too explosive. Too, I think the word is liberal in the Greek, just can't handle it. But Terrence Mann, angry man, recluse, Terrence Mann also in desperate need of some redemption. So too, Archie, Moonlight Graham. Now here's the interesting thing about this movie. There were some characters that were actual characters way back when. Now not Terrence Mann. We do think he was based on J.D. Salinger. And of course, Shoeless Joe Jackson, that was true. And that whole story about throwing the World Series, that too is believed to be true. And Archie Moonlight Graham. Turns out there was an Archie Moonlight Graham who played one inning for the big league club and then was sent right back down. And it so broke his heart that he left and went into medicine. But he too always ached that he didn't get another chance, didn't even get a chance to bat, just played in the field, didn't get a chance to bat. All these folks are in need of redemption, and all of these folks seem to be in the purview of whoever it is that's speaking and whispering, if you build it, he will come. Later on, it's ease his pain. Later on, it's go the distance. But all of these are redemption-oriented messages. And Terrence, in a lot of ways, was the last one to come on board. Now, here's the thing. The voice seemed to have convinced Ray to plow under his uh, means of income. 
Ray's brother-in-law says, Ray, you're crazy. You can't do this. Ray's brother-in-law said, you are going to lose the farm. You're going to lose it. In fact, comes up to him on a moment of truth and says, Ray, they're coming tomorrow to take your farm. Now, Ray has already built the baseball field. Ray has already seen these shadowy figures from the past. Y'all, again, suspend your scientific. We're not asking how this happens. We're just appreciating that it happens. Amen? All right. These shadowy figures have come out of the cornfield. People who have been gone for decades, they come out of that, that cornfield, and they come in and they play these games. All of them seemingly seeking some sort of redemption, but not everybody can see it. <laughs> Ray can see it. Now Terrence can see it, but the weirdo brother-in-law can't quite see it yet. And it's the brother-in-law who says, okay, this is really cool. It's a pretty field and everything. They are coming to take your farm tomorrow. Sell it right now. It's the only chance you have. Sell it. Nobody's coming. Terrence is saying, no, I finally believe the voice. If you build it, if you build it, folks will come. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. People will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Grumpy old Terrence man finally tips the scales and Ray decides, I'm going to hang on to it. Interesting factoid. Uh, this is James Earl Jones, right? That's the name of the actor. And then when he was asked, now, how did you do such a good job on this movie? He said, I don't know. I hate baseball. <laughs> but he did so well, he'd be cast in another baseball movie, Sandlot, later on. Did a nice job on that one, too. But Terrence Mann finally gets it. Oh, wow. This is not just a field where baseball happens. We have built something where redemption happens. You see why this is of interest to a pastor? We have built something where redemption happens. Now, you guys, this is a very satisfying movie. I've watched big chunks of it again this week, and man, it's a satisfying movie. Everybody gets a chance. You know, Archie gets a chance to bat. Terrence sees some purpose in life all over again. Ray, people do actually come to the game, but what about Ray and his dad? Do they finally reconcile? So his dad's one of these shadowy figures that comes out of the cornfield, comes out of the corn. I mean, we're not asking how. We're just saying, wow, right? Comes out of the cornfield. They have an exchange. Oh. Just watch. Is, is this heaven? It's Iowa. Iowa?
this is heaven. It's what you kind of watch movies for. But is there a good redemption story outside of a movie that's part baseball, part romance novel, part sci-fi? I'm always struck in that little scene there, time when Ray catches the ball, and he seems to be struck by the tangibility of it. Like, oh, this is a baseball that my dad threw. Here's how I would say it for today's passage and and our purposes today. Are there really any tangible redemption stories? What what about in Scripture? Are there there similar redemption stories? I I would say, yeah, there's there's a bunch. Take Nehemiah 8. In fact, I would say there are some striking similarities here in Nehemiah 8. Chapter 8, there is a now-completed building project. And yet there are also plenty of painful, painful stories on full display. And there seems to be a voice urging the people to look ahead. Not to the exclusion of the past. You have to reckon with your past. But the voice seems to saying there is redemption for all who will participate. Redemption and even restoration. So here is sort of the historical backdrop, the wall around the city. They've returned from exile. Cyrus the Persia made it possible for them to return from the Babylonian exile. They have had all kinds of struggles. The wall is now completed. So much of the reconstruction now completed. But now what? It seems like the people now know that the most important, most difficult rebuilding project looms. How do we rebuild our lives How do we rebuild our minds and our imaginations? How do we rebuild the covenant with God? How will we do it? I want you to pay particular attention to these people and their reactions to Scripture being read in their presence. Please pay particular attention and see if you can find in your mind, your imagination, your heart, something that resonates Like, can we empathize with people who, by their own choices, found themselves exiled, obliterated, completely defeated, and seemingly cut off from God, only to have God rescue and bring them back? 
they seem to recognize that they wandered into oncoming traffic and now they really want to hear the words of help and hope. And so all the people gathered together in the square before the water gate. It was just a giant open space where all the people could gather, not in the temple, which is kind of exclusive. And they told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses. In your Bible, we're going to call it the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, which the Lord had given to, Mo, to, given to Israel. Verse 2, accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly. Both men and women and all could hear with understanding. And this was on the first day of the seventh month. The Jewish people still celebrate Rosh Hashanah. Verse 3, and he read from it, facing the square, watch this, before the water gate, from early morning to midday, let's just say like 7 to 3. That's a lot of scripture read out loud, amen? Yes, I'll say amen, amen. From early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and all the, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, Ezra stood on a wooden platform up in front of the people to read. So the wall and the buildings have been rebuilt, but now the people have to face the harsh reality of what happened. They were now confessing the difference between who they had been and who they'd been called to be. The law, the Torah, the first five books, the Pentateuch, but it's so much more than a listing of laws. It is a retelling of the story of God's desire to have a people of God's own and the dream that all the people would be reached through the chosen people of God. And so here they would have heard again about the calling of God. They would have heard about God's patience for a rebellious, wayward people. They would have heard the awful stories about Egyptian captivity. They would have heard the great gospel story, I would suggest, the gospel story of the rescue of God, known as the Exodus. They would have heard about moving into the promised land, and yes, along the way, all of the laws that outline a life of gratitude, faithfulness, and mission. So it was, all at the same time, both a painful reminder of their failures and you all, the still shocking evidence of the grace of God now giving them one more chance that they did not deserve. Unbelievable opportunity for redemption. A better ending to what had become a very painful story. Watch again to the way that the people react to these words of life. So Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all of the people stood up. They all stood up. You know, part of the reason that we have you stand when we read Scripture is because we all ought to have a better appreciation for what really are the words of life. Though we don't always think that, do we? Let me ask you this. What merits your standing up in reverence? Anybody? What merits our standing up in reverence? When is it that people will say, hey, on your feet? Don't say it out loud. Just think. Is it the words of life? And if it's not, is it perhaps because we don't yet believe these to be the words of life? 
Then Ezra, wow, that's coming up really slowly, blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, this is true, this is true. And they lifted up their hands, and then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Remember, this might have been six, eight hours or so of this. As they heard the words, as they heard the stories, as they had their memories refreshed again and again, it's not that God went anywhere, it's that we wandered away, but here God is welcoming us back. Anybody else need a good redemption story today? So from early morning to midday, the people clung to every word they'd forgotten before. They seem in this moment to value this new lease on life, and I hope that we can sense the emotion, the sorrow that's actually mixed with gratitude. Have you ever been there? Sorrow mixed with gratitude. When forgiveness comes as a surprise, and forgiveness, we know this by looking at the word as we see it in the original languages, forgiveness happens when you are let out of a cage. What you did no longer defines you. That's what forgiveness is. Have you ever been there, or do you need to be there? Verse 8, so they read from the book, from the law of God, with interpretation. People helped to understand. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And then the people started to weep. They wept. Why do you think they wept? And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Why do you think that they wept? I'm going I'm to hazard a guess if that's okay. I think they wept because they recognized, having now looked into the mirror, I think they recognized how far they had wandered from this God and from this covenant. Did they weep because they were sorting back through all of the heartache that happens when you walk into oncoming traffic? Very well could be. Maybe they were remembering names and faces that were lost along the way. This would have been generations of loss. Maybe they were mourning loss of entire family lines. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're remembering that there were so many days, weeks, months, and years that they were separated from their religious traditions, were not allowed to be the people that God asked them to be because they were under somebody else's thumb. Maybe they're remembering all of those things. It, it might be, at least to some extent, might, to some percentage, it might have been that. But I would suggest, suggest that beyond that, it was also this. They earned the exile, but they were rescued by grace. Oh, you got to be kidding me. That was great. Come on now. I'm going to try again. Because it's still true today, right? You and I, we have the capacity to earn our exiles. <laughs> but that doesn't break the covenant. Earned exile and yet rescued by grace. Right? I think that's why they were weeping. We know, painfully aware of what we deserve. 
painfully aware of what we deserve, but what we get is a chance to write a better ending to the story that has so many painful chapters. Exile is earned. Rescue comes by grace. They go home. The next day they come back. There's more to be read. There's more to be discovered. And so they asked Ezra to come and open Scripture for them again. And this is what happens. And they found it written in the law, which the Lord commanded by Moses, that the people of Israel should live in booths during the festival of the seventh month. This Sukkot, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles, And here's what would happen. These people would go out and they would find bits and pieces of God's created order and they would build little tents, little tabernacles, little lean-tos, little structures, and they would actually physically move outside of their brick-and-mortar homes and they would live in these little tents for a week, wholly reliant on not the brick-and-mortar, Not the Wi-Fi, (laughs) not the running water, not any of those creature comforts wholly reliant on the rescuing, sustaining grace and presence of God. Here's the thing. They found this in Scripture, but they also found that they, as a movement, hadn't been celebrating in this way for a long time. In fact, a long time since a guy named Joshua was lurking about. And so they said, you know what? We need to be reminded that God is always about rescue and redemption. So the people went out. The people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on the roofs of their houses and in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly, and all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made these tabernacles and lived in them. For from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And listen to this. And there was great rejoicing. What? There was great rejoicing? Let me make sure I understand. They moved away from their creature comforts, moved out into the wilderness in these little tents, and there was great rejoicing. Well, yeah. Because at the end of these great redemption stories, there's joy. Yeah, at the end of these great redemption stories, the one that you may still be looking for, there is joy. Because here's the thing. God still rescues. God still redeems. God still makes time and space for us to write better endings to the stories that may, in fact, have some very painful chapters. I asked you before. I'll ask you again. You don't have to raise your hand. don't have to stand up. Anybody need a little bit of redemption? God's ready. If you are. So the people return to their central organizing stories, or I would say story, in an effort to recover their calling, rebuild the covenant from their side at least, and reconstitute a culture 
of faithfulness, vitality, and joy. And maybe we don't always appreciate it, but we do the same thing when we gather around this table. We continue the process of building and rebuilding when we accept God's invitation to fellowship and companionship and redemption around this table. It's the same calling. And that calling is recovered in our lives too. The covenant is even today refreshed and renewed. Bit by bit though, maybe bits as small as pieces of bread. Bit by bit, we fashion a culture of faithfulness, gratitude, and joy when we gather around this table. Now, I'm gonna take issue with Ray just a little bit and the voice in a little bit. It's not so much if you build it, God will finally show up. It's more like if we'll give ourselves to the building and rebuilding process and to the habits and the disciplines and the practices, we will develop the eyesight to discover that God never left. We'll develop the eyes to see that God has been a companion all along, present, helping, whether we've noticed or not. Today is a really good day for a good redemption story perhaps to begin as you and I are again called back to the table. If you're helping us today, please come and help us set this table. Called back to the table today again in the hopes of hearing the story that makes redemption possible for each of us and all of us. We are called up, called up during this season, not just to receive these opportunities to redemp for redemption, that is true, but we are called up to be tellers and embodiers, for lack of a better term, embodiers of the story, to join God in this effort to redeem, restore, remember, rescue. You all, welcome again to Epiphany. Heavenly Father, bless these moments. Bless these moments and bless these elements. It's bread and it's cup. But in your hands, as is so often the case, it can be so much more. But bless these elements. Bless the bread. Bless the cup. In all of their forms. And somehow, God, move us to places that we would not have gotten otherwise. For the people in the room in desperate need of redemption, may this be a moment of clarity. For the people in the room who with great gratitude in their hearts understand themselves today to be redeemed, then may this be a commissioning moment. May they understand themselves strengthened by the bread and the cup to have the capacity to help somebody else find that moment of clarity, possibility of redemption, and the writing of a better ending to the story. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to be dismissed by Rose and to come to the front. If you will, come down with your hands cupped because these moments of potential redemption come to you as gifts. It's not something that you can buy. It's not something that you can swipe. It comes to you as a gift. It comes to you as grace. 
As you get close to someone holding a plate of bread, a little piece of bread will be placed in your hands. Don't eat it just yet, but take it and dip it into the cup. Once you dip it into the cup, then take and eat. Some of you may be more comfortable. These people who are dismissing you by row also have small plates full of prepackaged elements. If you would feel more comfortable in the age of the Omicron to take it like that, to take communion like that, please take it like that. By the way, you don't have to take it at all. But you may be wondering, well, who is welcome to participate? (laughs) If you know that you need grace, no matter how bad your Sunday morning has been, no matter how bad 2022 has been, no matter what, if you know that you need this grace, and by the way, I know that I need this grace, then you are welcome at this table. And by the way, grace is found here. I'm gonna do the liturgy now, so those of you who want to come down and take can take, and those of you who are receiving the elements there in your pews, as soon as you get them, go ahead and take them. The liturgy counts for you as well. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of this bread, remember me. The same way, he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me the author of the covenant. And so now, ushers, if you would, start to dismiss folks by row to come down front to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God. So come on down.
Some are still coming. We can go ahead and start praying. We're going to start with prayers of confession that I think are crucial parts of any good redemption story, acknowledging there are issues, there are problems, perhaps moments when we've fallen short. The good news is that God does not hoard forgiveness. God does not hoard redemption. And so you're praying to a God that aches to hear from you as you pray these prayers of confession. So I'm going to get out of the way for a moment, allow you to pray your own unique prayer of confession. But I do encourage you to do so. Then I'll close up with a corporate prayer of confession before handing it back over to Jason. So go ahead. God have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit keep us in eternal and boundless life. Jason. Just want to ask you to continue in these sweet moments of prayer and ask that you would join me in prayer for some of the folks that we love and just want you to in these moments of intercession you are welcome and of course free to pray for all the people and situations in this world that God places on your heart as Jeffrey Place. And God, we do enter into these moments asking you would come alongside of those we love who need your support, your help, your healing, your grace, and your redemption. Perhaps God, through this sermon this morning, you've placed someone in our heart that we know needs God, only your grace to reach them and a redemption story. And so whatever face or name or situation God has placed upon your heart in these moments, would you pray that God would reach that person by grace and for redemption? God, we do pray and ask that you would be with those who need you the most. God, we ask that you would come alongside a few of our friends who do need you. God, we ask for your continued healing in the life of Cheryl Hall. That you would bless and come alongside Evelyn Slothauer. That, God, you would continue to write a good redemption story for Karen Martin. That, God, you would come alongside and continue to be with Glenn and Betty Fain as Betty spent some time in the hospital this week. God, we ask for a healing story in the life of Scott Peterson and Margaret Farmer, Carolyn Fielding, and Bonnie Goodwin. God, we ask in these moments that you would come alongside folks who have struggled with, continue to struggle with, or are struggling with now the impact of COVID. 
on health, on life, on jobs, on anxiety, on isolation. No doubt, I'm guessing every person who walked into this room knows someone who has been impacted or is currently being impacted by COVID. And so pray in these moments. take time in these moments, whether you're here or watching online, to pray for the person on your right. And then pray for the person on your left. And then all of us pray for the one person whose heart is heavier than all of our hearts. that God for each of us and for all of us, down to every single individual and the collective whole of who we are, that God, you would write your redemption stories on our hearts by your grace. And church would now, would you pray together with me the prayer you see on the screens in front of you, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.